You were saying? Welcome to episode 79 of the Civil War Breakfast Club podcast. Tonight, I am joined by the guy who is insistent I do these intros, even though they are as bad as what happened to the Bruins against the Leafs the other night, and I usually have to do them in two or three takes. I'm his co-host and the Canadian half of this show, Mary. Didn't like that one. Not at all. Not even a little bit. I'm a Bruins fan too. Oh, yeah. Okay. Okay. Well, in any case, this is getting off to a great start. Oh, my God. I'm just glad this is the last day of Women's Day. I don't have to put up this crap anymore. Back to normal tomorrow for you, Mary. Oh, my God. I'm a Bruins fan, too, and that was heartbreaking the other night. Like, Jesus. <laughs> oh, God. It's okay. It's okay. So how are you? What's going on? I'm good. How are you? It feels like it's been oh, forever. That was good. It's like a minute ago. I forgot about that game. and the scarring. You just tear the Band-Aid right off of that, I guess. But okay. Whatever. Hey, you know, I watched the game, too. Good for you. Good for you, because I shut that off pretty quickly. So <laughs> how you been? How are things going? We haven't recorded in a couple of weeks. We took the week off last week. We did. shenanigans afoot that we did. We came off a really good episode with our friend Jim Hessler. We talked about Uncle Dan Sickles. We had a really, really good book club last night with the great Lisa Samia. We did. And we had a lot of fun with them with our live. And so now we're back, back to business. Mary is back. It's the end of March. The weather is warming up. Spring is in the air. And uh, we're back. We're back recording after our, God, is a two-week hiatus. Exactly, yeah. Well, it's two weeks and two days, which is kind of a long time for us. But, you know, here we are, we're back at it. And we're back to wrap up our discussion on female soldiers and spies. But before we do that, I'm going to be a good host and for once not be reminded by you that I'm missing one part. What are you drinking tonight? And I don't know. Oh, my goodness gracious. Look at me. I'm on top. You are. Uh, Anyway, so I'm drinking noon juice and it is from Progression. It is a good solid IPA. And since it is still um, Women's Month here, I'm drinking my Mary Surratt mug. It's the only mug I have that has a female on it. So I'm proud to do it. And uh, what about you? The the second most infamous Mary present in this podcast tonight. Well, thank you. I'll take that as a compliment. I'm drinking um, Ghost Orchid IPA from the amazing Bellwoods Brewery out of Toronto. It's a new beer of theirs, which I was very happy to find it at the Lickbow the other day. It's very, very good. Um, again, Again with the Toronto. Huh? Seriously? Yeah, the Toronto. Okay, yeah. fine. All right. Okay. I All right. hate the Leafs, and I have my entire life. Okay. Hate, okay. Hate them. Well, all right. Excellent. 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 Okay. Oh you were saying? <laughs> you were saying? You were saying? I am drinking it out of my Sarah Edmonds mug, which last time we recorded, I didn't have a mug with a female on it, but now I do, thanks to um, friend of ours. She sent it to me, which was really, really awesome of her. So thank you to her for that. And That is cool. Yes, is I'm very happy because Sarah Edmonds has definitely become, I don't know, I hadn't really studied her too much prior to the last episode we did. And I don't know, she's definitely become somebody I really enjoy studying and reading about and glad to kind of give her a bit of a voice in history. We did. You know, two weeks ago, we talked a lot about her. So today we are concluding our two-part series on female soldiers in the Civil War. And after we spoke of the two Sarahs last time, of course, Sarah Slater and the aforementioned Sarah Edmonds. Though we're focusing on just a handful, really focusing on just the four, you know, for this whole thing. You know, there are countless nameless women uh, who fought on both sides um, in some sort of capacity. You know, to, to quantify it would be basically impossible because many of their acts were basically covert. But I think I think most historians agree that there was probably about five to seven hundred or so mm-hmm. women who participated in the Civil War outside of, of nursing. And, you know, their reasons were for joining was in some cases were very personal and some are due to just pure patriotism. And some, just like the boys, it offered some sort of adventure. Exactly. You know? and, 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 you know, regardless, you know, their stories do need to be told. Uh, but maybe someday they'll just be referred to as soldiers, not female soldiers, yeah. right? And, you know, to quote Sarah Edmonds, who you may have heard of, you know, if you haven't heard of her, take a peek at your mug, <laughs> also known as Frank Thompson, right? Yes. In, of the second Michigan, I could only thank God that I was free and could forward to work and I was not obligated to stay home and weep. So Edmonds, as we know, um, through Mary's fantastic research, <laughs> is the only woman to receive that Civil War veteran's pension, right? Mm-hmm. If we remember correctly. So today what we're going to do is we're going to discuss a pair, another pair of women who were not content to sit back uh, and let all the boys do the work as well. Of course, we're going to talk about Pauline Cushman as well as Frances Elizabeth Quinn. So um, without further ado, why don't we kick it off with Pauline Cushman, Mary? So why don't you take over and... and, and Wow us with your brilliance, Apollo. Uh, well, 
right. Well, I, the one thing I want to say is about these two women, they were, there wasn't as much information about them as what I was able to find about Edmonds. I think it's because, you know, I was able to read some of Edmonds memoirs and all that. And Pauline Cushman did right memoirs as well. I just want to say thank you to our friend MJ because um, she was able to answer some questions because she actually portrays Pauline Cushman in reenacting. And we're going to have her on here at some point to talk a little bit more in depth about Cushman and what it's like to portray her in living history. Yeah, Pauline Cushman is such a fascinating character. Mm -hmm. And we'll talk about her in detail. We're not, you know, I'm not going to go too, too much because we do want to save someone. We're going to dedicate a whole episode to her with MJ. And she, MJ is the guru she is. Um, as far as I'm concerned with all things Pauline Cushman. She so is. We, we'll talk about that. But needless to say, she's somebody with like many of these people deserve to have their story yep. told. For everyone we talk about, there is probably a hundred that are out there that we don't. So that's what's great about history is they're just waiting to be discovered. Exactly. Just like these people have. Exactly. And I did find some parallels between Pauline and Sarah, which is pretty cool. So just to begin on Pauline, she's born June the 10th, 1833. She's born Harriet Wood. Pauline Cushman is actually her stage name, and I'll get to that soon. She's born in New Orleans, Louisiana, but she moves to Grand Rapids, Michigan when she was young because her father would open um, a a trading post where he worked with um, like, you know, trading with native Americans. Um, and I just thought this is like one connection she has with, with Sarah Edmonds is they, they both live in Michigan for a period of time. Um, her father was actually Spanish and her mother was French and apparently the daughter of one of Napoleon Bonaparte soldiers. Uh, oh. She had seven brothers. So at an early age, she learns how to ride horses. She learns how to shoot. She learned, and she also learns how to canoe in the rivers in the area where she lives around Grand Rapids. So again, very similar to Edmonds. Like they've got this kind of, um, today we might call them a tomboy, you know, just these kind of more, she's not like the traditional female of her time. She's into this kind of sense of adventure and hanging out with her brothers and all that. Um, but her dream was to become an actress. So at the age of 17, almost the same age that Sarah Edmonds was when she left home. Harriet leaves home to go to New York, you know, kind of the, that's where the acting is and all that. And this uh -huh. is where she takes the stage name of Pauline Cushman, but she struggles to find work, but eventually she's hired by a theater manager in New Orleans. So she goes back to the place um, where she was born. She became known for kind of her, like her full figure and her seductive charms as well, which she's going to use um, apparently when she's a spy for the union army. Um, it's at this time when she starts acting that she meets her husband, um, Charles Dickinson, and he was a music teacher and a theater musician, and they actually end up moving to Cleveland, Ohio, because that's where his family is, and they want it to be close to his family. They have two children um, named Charles and Ida. When the Civil War breaks out, Charles, is, um, Charles, Pauline's husband, is going to enlist in the infantry as a musician, and he ends up, I think he gets wounded at the Battle of Shiloh, and he ends up passing away in 1862 on December the 8th and Pauline said this of when it happened when my husband came home from the army he was in very poor health in fact a complete wreck I had two small children and was unable to take care of both of them and him as his father had a very large house with plenty of room and he had two brothers and three sisters at home besides his father and mother we he went there to be taken care of I heard his condition every day and frequently saw him we never expected him to get any better, but regarded him beyond the hope of recovery. So it's pretty tragic. Like she knows when he gets back and so does the whole family that he's never going to recover. So that right. is going to ultimately leave her a widow with two small children. Um, Pauline does attend his funeral, which he dies of, dis of dysentery. It does. Right? Yes. Yeah. You know what's some, some, say, about some say dysentery. Some say he had a, like um, a head injury that eventually killed him too. Oh, who knows? But it's it's interesting that, you know, you talk about Pauline Cushman. We talked about Sarah Slater last time, mm -hmm. how they both were married a musician slash dance teachers. Yeah. You, know, you got one who's going to be a union spy, one's going to be a Confederate spy. Yeah. Uh, it's just for the certain parallels you notice as you study these that it's just kind of a, sometimes it's always fascinating to find these little these little details that probably no one cares about except me, admittedly. No, I find it fascinating, too. Like, I was trying to find little connections that she might, like, you know, similarities between her and Sarah Edmonds, you know, like that they're both in Michigan. They both seem to have this tomboyish nature about them where they're, you know, at, like they enjoy riding horses and they seem to enjoy this sense of adventure um, kind of outside of like the traditional roles that females held back then, which is pretty cool. Um, so after Charles dies in December of 1862, um, Pauline, for, for whatever, probably a variety of reasons, she leaves her two children, Charles and Ida, with her sister-in-law. She goes off to start acting again. 
you know, this left her kind of estranged from her, her in-laws, unfortunately. And, you know, of course, she's, she's a mom, but she's leaving her kids, but for whatever reason, right? So she ends up acting in this play called The Seven Sisters in Knoxville. And mm-hmm. this is where she begins her career as a union spy. So one night, two Confederate officers approach her and say, hey, can you toast Jeff Davis in the play and we'll pay it like $350, which is a considerable sum. It's good money. In that time, very, very good money. Now, this is where there's like, with anything in history, it's not 100% known how how this goes down. Like there's different reports as to what happened. There's some reports that she just did it and then was, you know, pulled aside by a union officer afterwards. There's another report that, she went to um, this guy named Colonel Orlando Hurley Moore and said, this is what these guys have asked me to do. I guess she had a bit of a reputation for being a very good actress. So Moore says, well, why don't you do it? And we'll make you a a union spy. Yeah, he's the U.S. Provost Marshal out of Louisville. Mm -hmm. So it's interesting that she gets this offer from these two Confederate Confederate officers to to toast Jefferson Davis in the middle of 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 this play. And she's like, oh, I don't know about that. And three hundred money's money, though. Got to pay the bills. But she well, gets yeah, exactly. Advice. She's uh, she's a widow, true. and you know, women didn't you know? make as much as men back then. Sorry, go ahead. But it's funny. Moore is like, um, you know what? Screw it. Do it. Who cares? Yeah. Have fun. You know, she says, "Why don't you go ahead and do it, and then tomorrow come see me?" Is mm-hmm. what he says to her. Yep. So he might have had a premonition of what was going to happen to her as soon as she did that. Oh yeah, she ends up getting yeah. fired from the theater because they think she's a Confederate sympathizer. But Moore's thought is like. Holy shit, if you can convince people that you like act so well that you can convince people that you're a Confederate, we need to have you behind enemy lines and gathering intelligence for us. And, you know, again, it it, it seems so similar to Edmonds. I think Edmonds enjoyed the acting part of being, you know, frank, that she enjoyed that very much. A lot like Pauline Cushman, her passion seems to have been acting. So um, she ends up, starting to spy for the union and there's one story where just as she's beginning um you know she's at this boarding house and she's portraying she's being a very confederate sympathizer but she figures out that the person who owns the boarding house is going to poison the union soldiers there right boarding house owner ends up getting arrested for that and another time she dresses up as a man convinces a woman who is carrying confederate supplies that she's you know secretly a confederate confederate officer and the union ends up ends up getting those supplies so yeah she's, she's good like at the, what Meryl, she does. the meryl streep of acting you think about it she could play the feminine role she could play the yeah. masculine role she could play the woman she could play the man and she does it in a way where she's it, it's she's so good at it that she's able to fool people on on really mm-hmm. all sides so i mean you know, as good as the Edmondses of the world are and the Bell Boyds of the world are, she has that that background, that 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 yep. performance art ability, um, and she can think on her feet quickly, which is going to benefit her later on. Mm-hmm. She gets her butt caught, but it's it's fascinating to see how she's able to kind of play both sides of it and yep. ultimately end up with the goal that she wants, which is pretty cool. Think about no, it. No, it's a know? very, very fascinating story. Um, so she ends up going to Nashville to be given very specific instructions from um, Colonel Truesdale, I think his name mm-hmm. is. and William Truesdale, yeah. yeah. And he works for Rosecrans. Um, that's who, who his commanding officer is. And he will say to her, Miss Cushman, all that you have done is nothing compared with the service which... It is now in your power to render your country. I have heard much of your courage, devotion, and ready expedience. But what I want you to do will demand a quickness of an intellect and a powerful constitution, a ready wit, and the courage of a soldier tried in a thousand fields. So she's already got this reputation by the time she gets to Nashville. So what happens is she ends up going behind enemy lines. Um, and she's, you know, around where General Bragg's army is. His army well, of Tennessee. She's told to pretend she's looking for her lost brother. Yes, the lost brother story. The lost brother. So you know, yeah, it just—it's just kind of interesting that that's that's the role that she's playing. Mm-hmm. Um, but she plays it well, though. And that you, yep. know, you think about it when we talked about Sarah Slater last week, she just like just like Slater, Cushman just seems to take it to it like a fish out of it in water. She right? does. She just yep. she just does it. Yeah. Because you have to think, you know, she just lost her husband. She's got some small. She's got a small child, mm-hmm. and, and she is taking on a role 
that is obviously extremely dangerous very. for anybody. Yep. Let, let alone somebody with very little experience in the field mm -hmm. and she does it and she just does it which is absolutely i mean it's just you know i'm sure there was moments where she probably had feelings of trepidation and holy crap what do i get myself into yeah but she didn't show it and she absolutely it didn't affect her which is fascinating no it, it it really is and that reminds me of Edmonds in a way you know Edmonds, as you said you know uh, just like Slater, just like Cushman, and I'm sure just like we're going to see see with Quinn, you know, they take to it. They adapt so quickly to the role. And, you know, with I think with Edmonds and especially in, and with Cushman, too, it was this ability they had to act. They were playing a role and they enjoyed it. You know, for Edmonds, it is the sense of adventure. And it probably was that way for Cushman, too. But also, you know, we know with Edmonds that it's very patriotic and it, maybe it was that way with Cushman as well. But we, you know, we're not 100 percent sure. So her mission is to report back on the Confederate defenses and, you know, what what Braxy's got going on kind of thing. Right. Um, right. And so she is told by uh, Truesdale, don't write anything down. Don't take anything physical, like don't take a map or anything like that. Commit it to memory, because if you get caught, you don't need kind of like you don't need to have that shit on you. And that is unfortunately what happens to her is she does end up getting caught um she puts um like she's able to gather a lot of information um because she had invites from the confederate officers to walk along her line like walk along their lines right because she's she's very like she's very attractive um you know very pretty woman i don't want to say she uses that to her advantage at all but you know the men are you know she's invited to walk along with them and all that um and as i said she's supposed to commit it to memory but she ends up making drawings of rebel fortifications at Shelbyville and Tullahoma. There's a story that she got a map off of one of the officers as well, which she concealed in her boot. And she's captured um, by none other than um, Morgan and Forrest when she's heading back across um, enemy lines. And she tries to escape, but is recaptured again. And they take her to Bragg, who orders her to be tried as a spy. She ends up you know, the verdict is basically you're guilty, which that's death by hanging. So Bragg was going to have her executed. Right. Um, but while she's waiting, um, you know, she becomes very ill. Ill ish. Ish. Right? Uh, yeah, exactly. Ill ish. <laughs> because she's like an the, actress. Like the, way you were, like the way you were sick from work a week ago, Monday. <gasps> yeah. Fucker, I was sick. Oh, yeah. You were sick already. Oh, my God. Anyway, <laughs> you were saying. <laughs> Um, anyway, so she plays up her illness a little bit. Braxton Bragg finds out he's got to like get the fuck out where he is because the uh -huh. union is on his ass, right? Like Rosecrans is coming towards him. And so the one doctor, like, he's just like, she's not well enough to travel. She'll die in the way, blah, blah, blah. So they leave her there with um, in the home of a civilian doctor. And she ends up being rescued by the union army um, and going back to Nashville but you know she's become known as the spy of the Cumberland and so her day you know if you're well known you can't be a spy anymore right so her days as uh -huh. a spy are unfortunately over but she is awarded the rank of brevet major by the by the Union Army by James Garfield and her rank is confirmed by President Lincoln he's the guy with the hat yeah and you know the, the Union ladies of Nashville present her with the full military uniform mm -hmm. and she's, yeah. she's gonna wear it she travels throughout the Union and you know when she's gets left behind there in Shelbyville um, you know, she's, you know, uh -huh, uh -huh, I can't go. Uh -huh. Yep. And brag, brag, just, okay, fine. And then she has a miraculous recovery as soon as the union comes. And, and it's, it's amazing that she was able to pull it. If you want to talk about a good acting job, right. Mm -hmm. Um, and so we'll talk about how she, you know, and she gets that Miss Major Pauline Cushman title. Yeah. Around this time. And, and so she pictures, she's wearing that uniform and yeah. she's, you know, and she's and she's doing all the all this cool stuff. Yeah, she's a very confident looking woman in that picture. I love that picture of her. You know, she's just she's wearing that uniform. It's like wow, that's you know, <laughs> she just I love that photo of her. Um, but she ends up in November of 1864. Um, her six year old son Charles will pass away, and he's buried in Ohio in the same cemetery as his father. Um, and her daughter, Ida, will unfortunately, she will die a few years later. And her grave is unfortunately unmarked, which is really sad. She's, I think she's buried in the same cemetery, but she doesn't have a marker on her grave. No. Which is really, no. really sad. So, you know, Pauline now has lost her two children. 
So she's widowed and she's lost her two children. She's no longer a spy for the union, but because she had a reputation, she's well known. So she actually lectures for several years after she, um, you know, is no longer a spy. Um, 1864, she publishes her memoir, The Romance of the Great Rebellion. And there's also another bio written about her by um, Ferdinand um, Sarmiento. I'm going to butcher his name. Um, she, she also ends up, you know, she becomes so well known. She lectures where P.T. Barnum is as well. Yeah, she's like a one-man show, one-woman yeah. show. She goes up there. She has a show called The Spy of the Cumberland. She's a one. She's up there telling about her exploits, and the crowd is absolutely spellbound of all these mm-hmm. things that Pauline Cushman has done. Um, that that P.T. Barnum actually is going to sponsor it. Yeah. Uh, so in that, like we said before, the problem of becoming really famous is you can't be a spy anymore. Mm-mm. And so she hit the big time. And we're talking still yeah. 1864 now. We're talking yeah. still, you know, about a third of the way, you know, left in the, in the war. Um but she certainly is becoming an extremely famous person mm-hmm. uh, because of her exploits. And, and now she's, you know, she's got her uniform. She's got the major title. And now yep. she's doing a, she's, she's doing the Chris Rock show. I don't know if she got slapped or not. <laughs> but, but, she, but she's up there by herself doing her, telling her yep. stories of, of, of tales of, of, uh, of excitement. So, so for her, things are certainly moving right along mm-hmm. because don't, you know, she started as an actress and she was struggling to yep. make a couple hundred bucks by these Confederate guys. Now she's probably one of the more famous actors in the country by 1864. Exactly. Yeah. So she's living her dream, which is awesome. Like her dream at 17 when she leaves home is to be an actor. And now she's she's lecturing and she's telling the stories of her adventures she had while she was a spy, um, you know, and she's got this name, the Spy of the Cumberland, which is pretty cool. Um, from 1865 to 1867, she traveled with the Irish comedian uh, James M. Ward, but she eventually goes on her own again. Um, I think she's very independent. And that's one thing I love about her. She comes across as being very, very independent and doesn't like I don't think she liked to be tied down anywhere at all um, in 18, by 1872, though, she's unfortunately become not as popular, and she marries um, Augustus um, Fitchner. <laughs> I can't say his last name. Um, and, and is unfortunately she's widowed within a year. Uh, so she ends up spending five years working at a redwood logging camp near Santa Cruz, California. So she's out in California now. Um, January 29th, 1879, she marries Jeremiah Fryer in Arizona. Um, they have an adopted daughter named Emma, and they run a hotel and a stagecoach. And Fryer was actually sheriff for a number of years. Um, in 1890, though, Emma, their adopted daughter, she dies of a, um, supposedly of a seizure. And the grief over that just it led them to unfortunately separate. So, yeah. you know, here we have Cushman again. Um, by 1890, she's not doing very well. She's very she's poor. And she's also suffering from arthritis and a few other health problems. Yeah, she finds herself in El Paso, Texas, penniless yeah. Yeah. by 1892. So she's done that full, you know, that full 360 of what, of what it was. Yeah. Uh, and you can see, you know, all things going back to how her life has been, where she she had that little that little spurt of excitement there, but but her life was a tragic one. Yes, it in the was. beginning and the end. And unfortunately for her, it, it's not going to end. It's not going to be a happy ending for, for, for Cushman no. as she gets a little bit older. Yeah. And so she ends up applying for her first husband's pension um, on February. Um, and she's a, it's awarded to her on February the 4th, 1893. Um, but it's only amounts to about $8 a month retroactive to December 8th, 1862, which is less than $1,000 that she's going to receive for that. Um she is and when she's living in El Paso to make money she's or she does sewing in exchange for food and a place to sleep which is on a cot in the kitchen um uh-huh. so you know again it's very tragic and she becomes around this time addicted to opioids and she mixes them with whiskey which as we know is not a very good combination and uh-huh. um by 1893 like the arthritis is really bad and she sadly dies of an overdose um, December the 2nd, 1893, and she's only 60 years old at this time. Um, so really tragic ending for her. Yeah, she's mm-hmm. got that rheumatism and the arthritis, and, yep. she, she's, and she's with this grief. You know, when she turns up dead by the morphine overdose, self, you know, self morphine and her landlady is going to find her yeah and and, and that's going to be it for her and there's all kinds of intrigue and speculation about about how that whole thing went down yeah, yeah we'll never but, know but, if it was you know like if it was accidental or 
if it was deliberate, there's a lot of speculation around that. Like, who knows, right? Like, I mean, if you're mixing, it's, it's you know, with whiskey, it can have not very good results, right? Um, but, you know, it's not totally, you know, horrible for it. Like, she does have a big funeral that's put on by the California Division of the Grand Army of the Republic and the Women's Relief, Relief Corps. And she's actually buried in the officer section of Presidio Cemetery in, in San Francisco. And her, her grave just simply reads Pauline C. Fryer, Union Spot. So that's, you know, she's not even buried as Pauline Cushman. She's buried with her, her married name, Fryer. Yeah. Mm-hmm. And so she has a kind of an ignominious end. And it's unfortunately, it's, it's, she doesn't get the, yeah, the accolades that I think a lot of people would expect her to do, especially by looking at her gravestone. Yeah. It's very, it's very, you know, very simple doesn't even have the full, you know, the, the Cushman name like you just said on it. Mm-hmm. But I think I think the thing about her is she's one, she's just another one of those cases of those people who, you know, who saw an opportunity, felt that she had to do it and she did it without any sort of fear, any sort of trepidation, yep. any sort of anxiety um, that we can see of anyway. I mean, again, reading the stuff, it's easy to assume, associate that she's just going to whip right through it. But you have to imagine it was some fear along the way. Yep. Um, you know, she's put in charge of, of of really helping set up that Tullahoma campaign. You think, think about the yeah. big campaign that leads to Chattanooga. I know. And, she's, part of, you know Krantz, she's part of that. Yeah. Rose Rosecrans is going to entrust her to yep. find out the situation going forward that leads to all those battles culminating in Chattanooga, yep. which is going to eventually end up, you know, pushing through Georgia, lay the whole deal. Mm-hmm. So she's an instrumental person to help set that up. And, you know, she's going to get herself caught because, you know, she gets caught with the, the, the information mm-hmm. in her boot there. But the way she's able to stall brag, right? Yeah. Um, and, you know, being ill and whatever. I'm sure she was sick to a point, but yeah. I think she understood. If she played the, it up, the, she would be the, rescued. Well, she knew that the cavalry literally was coming at yeah. some point. Yeah. And so she was able to hold on. And she was able to, you know, to fortunately for her, for at least for a short period of time, benefit from that uh, with that stage thing with Barnum. Yeah. But, um, but again, things kind of settle back to the way they they were, and she she kind of goes down that that spiral. You see a lot of people do. It's really too bad. You wonder if the trauma of the war of losing children, losing yeah, well, spouses, if that yeah. if that's going to affect a lot of things going forward. Um, and then throwing the rheumatism, throwing the arthritis, yep. and then the, the morphine to, to fix everything. And, you know, whether she's addicted to it or whether she just overdosed it, who knows what. But it's a sad ending for her. Yeah, it is. You know, and a lot of these things, you study these people and you kind of expect things are going to work out well, right? Yeah. Um, but for her, unfortunately, it doesn't. And she dies a very sad and lonely death, yep. which is um, not fair for someone like her. No, no, I think she she definitely deserved more, but you know, the tragedy of losing three children of losing two husbands, one to war wounds and the other, you know, she's not even married to him for a year before he dies. And the other one, they end up separating over the grief of their adopted daughter, Emma. It's very, very tragic. Um, and I'm, I'm really glad we were able to tell her story tonight. Um, she was an interesting person, very interesting person to research. Uh, and we're going to do, we're going to do a, a full, yeah. Yeah, we're going to do more more in depth with with MJ because MJ is definitely the she is as you said the guru for for Pauline Cushman. She even portrays her, which is really cool. I think. Yeah, I don't portray anybody. I'm just pretending yeah. me. Yeah. I'm just an empty em, em, empty beer can named Darren. Oh my that's, god, that's you I'm are doing. not. Yeah, you do the intro tonight. Well, I think that's a good story. It is. Um, I'm going to I'm going to talk about another soldier, Mary, who you are. joined for to joined for a reason very similar to how Rufus Dawes did um, mm-hmm. that we talked about earlier out of pure patriotism. And this is a woman by the name of Frances Elizabeth Quinn. So we're going to talk a lot about her. Her story is an amazing one if you really think about it. Just to summarize, she's going to enlist five times, each time after being dismissed the previous time because her gender was discovered. A woman who was injured in battle, she's captured, uh, taken prisoner by the Confederates, all while doing this job that she had to help the union cause. Yep. So she's somebody who just c- couldn't get rid of. She's kept coming back and back and back. And and her story is one similarly that it, you wonder how she could do it, mm-hmm. how anybody could do it, right? So Frances Elizabeth Quinn, she's born somewhere around 1844-45. No one really knows when she's actually born. Um, her family is going to be uh, coming from Ireland, and they're going to settle in a place called Lamoille, Illinois, mm-hmm. a town in the, nor- the northwest portion of that state. Um, 
Francis will be around two or three years old um, when the family is going to welcome a baby boy uh, named Thomas, who um, is going to be about, like I said, two years younger than yeah. Francis, right? And as the girl, as the kids get a little older, so they're still kids, the parents are both going to die. Oh. And, um, and so it's going to leave Francis and Thomas as orphans, unfortunately. Now, because the kids were young, um, it was decided that each child was going to be put into a foster home. Yep. Now, unfortunately for the kids, they couldn't find a family to take both, so they had to split no. them up. So the younger, uh, Thomas, is going to be shipped off to live with a family called the Coakleys, while Francis is going to live with the Reno family. Now, this Reno family is the same Reno's Jesse. Um, who claimed Jesse Reno, exactly, mm -hmm. who would be who be killed at South Mountain in September of 1862. And she's going to be Francis's surrogate uncle. That's kind of how it's going to be, right? Now, fun fact, by the way, Mary, Jesse Reno's son, you know what he did in 1891? He invented the escalator, which my legs thank him for. Oh, my way. God. That's crazy. So, so, so there we go. So so Jesse Reno, who's also, you know, another, another Jesse. Look at you, full of random facts. <sighs> Every time you see the escalator. You, you go, salute Jesse. it. <laughs> I salute it. Thank you, Jesse. You know. The Renovator. <laughs> but, but exactly. But you know, so when Francis turns 12 years old, you know what she does? Just like you did. She joins a convent, Mary. That's what oh, she yeah. does. <laughs> <laughs> and she's going to, she's going to go to Wheeling, Virginia, which is now Wheeling, West Virginia, yep. uh, to get an education. Now, when she is finished at age 16 years old, the civil war is just starting. Yep. Okay. And she's going to return to Lamoille uh, from Wheeling. And when she gets home, She's going to be stunned to find out that her younger brother, Thomas, he's who's 14. 14 at the time, he's going to lie and he's going to join the Union Army. He's going to join the 52nd Illinois. He's going to join at age 14. And Francis and Thomas were very, very close to how orphan children tend to be, mm -hmm. right? They tend to find that, yep. that connection, right? And Thomas joining the military affected Francis deeply, very, very deeply, almost mm. like twins, right? Wow. For that reason, for that reason, Francis Quinn is going to decide that if Thomas enlisted, guess what? I'm going to too. Mm -hmm. But of course, there's a problem, Mary. You know what the problem is? Mm, might be because she's a girl. Problem is that she's a girl. Okay. Yeah. So re regardless, Francis wants to try. So she's going to cross that state line into Indiana. She's going to dress up as a male. And she's going to be named Frank Miller or B.F. Miller, if you're nasty. Okay. <laughs> now, have you noticed that most of these women take the name Frank? I know. I was too? just going to say Edmonds took the name. Like she's Franklin Tom or Thompson. I, like I, it's just, I don't, I don't know. know. Maybe it was, it was a common code. name. I don't, I don't know. Yeah, I, don't know how it was. I was going to say the but other whatever. similarity between Ed or um, Quinn and Edmonds is that they are both immigrants. They certainly are. So. They are. Although there's some questions whether or not Francis was born in Illinois or she was born in France. That, mm -hmm. That's the thing. Her yeah, birth yeah. is kind of nebulous. Yeah. But one thing isn't is, is not in doubt. She was medium height with dark hazel eyes and dark brown hair. She was a rounded features. Mm -hmm. Okay. Mm -hmm. And she had a feminine and she had a feminine voice. So that's that's what how most people described her. Now, her enlistment ruse worked, and she's now finds herself a new member of the 15th Indiana. Okay. This regiment has 30-day papers. That's it. So she's joined for 30 days, and that's going to be it. So her stay with the old Hoosiers, Mary, is going to be a short one. It's going to be like your last DQ job. In and out, gone. <laughs> See you later. You know? But, no, but, but, but Frank, you know, what's interesting is at some point when she joined the military, Frances alleged, well, didn't allegedly, she definitely did. She wrote a letter to her brother Thomas to state that she was enlisted. Mm -hmm. Okay. Um, now that letter, um, that letter doesn't exist. But the reason it doesn't exist anymore. But the reason why you know what happened is Thomas's response to her did still does exist. And oh, he, wow. you know, and he was pissed mm -hmm. when he found out that Francis joined the military. Okay. And she's gonna respond back to Thomas. She's gonna write a letter. It's gonna have a copy here, not the original. Don't get all excited, it's just a copy, okay? <laughs> it says, My dear brother. I wish to say that in reply to your recent letter that I volunteered in the army because I wish to have a part in the defense of my country's flag. I think I love my country as well as you do, and I think I may learn to shoot just as straight as you can. And if my health continues, I may be of equal service to that of yourself. 
this is a classic. I, if you could do, I can do better. Letter. To that's amazing. That's so. Once. That's so okay? awesome. Yeah, she and she's so like you know, just like Edmonds, she's so patriotic, wanting to you know fight for her country. She just doesn't want to kind of stand back. She's like, well, hey, if you can do it, so can I. So you can tell by the tone of the letter she writes to Thomas that um, that the letter he must have sent to yeah. her originally because she could tell she's jumping. He bitched her out totally for that. He's like, what the fuck are you doing? You're a girl. You can't do that. Girls can't do that. But, you know, her enlistment in that 15th Indiana is going to run out that 30-day paper. And she's going to sign up again, this time with the 2nd Tennessee Mm -hmm. Union Regiment, okay, in their station in Louisville, Kentucky. Now, her stay with the 2nd Tennessee is going to be a short one because she's going to be discovered pretty quickly. She's a girl. I'm going to show what happened, okay? But they kind of smelled this one out pretty quickly. They kind of said, you know, you know, that's the yeah. way it was. Um, now, it's interesting when you study someone like Quinn is a lot of regiments claim her yeah. in history. So you try to try to maneuver the way up the stream of where she actually went mm-hmm. is not the easiest job in the world. Mm-hmm. But a month later in August of 1862, she's going to join up with Company G of the 90th Illinois. This is the Irish regiment that's from Chicago, right? Now, this is going to be, again, this is going to be discovered. So she doesn't keep a secret too, too well. But there was one guy who did keep a secret. And his name was a Canadian of all things, Mary. Uh, this is the Canadian G- connection you told me about. Na- right. Named Jerry Kane, or he's also called Jer O'Kane, because he was a Canadian, he was the Irish regiment. And Frances met him in Chicago. She Realistically, she met him probably right around the time she signed up. There are no official records of this, but it seems anyway that she was claiming to be married to this guy, Jerry, at this point, okay? And although they, when they were discovered by a guy named Colonel Timothy O'Meara, okay, who was the colonel of the regiment, she introduced herself as Eliza Miller and said that she was recently married to Jerry Kane and wants to stay with them in camp. So she, they find out she's a girl and she, she's going to get kicked out, but she says, no, no, you can't kick me out. I'm married to Jerry over here, yeah. okay? So I want to stick around. Now, this marriage, there's no real record of it. It's probably a common law thing or who the hell knows. But according to a guy named Private Cabrick from Company G of Francis, she married an excellent young man, a member of her mess, and remained with the regiment ever since. Private James M. Jones says she was serving with her lover. That's what he said. Ooh. Okay. So it's interesting. One fun fun fact for this Mary, this one for you, Fincher, okay, <laughs> is, is eventually she's Jerry is going to get they're going to get separated. They're going to split the two up. Yeah. Jerry's going to get sent to fight in Atlanta. He's going to be killed on July 28, 1864 at the Battle of Ezra Church, fighting for guess who? Oh, my God, Howard. Oliver Otis Howard. Oh, there's our OO reference. So there's your Howard reference. Yay! So, so poor, so oh poor my Jerry God. must not have been able to run too fast because he got killed at Ezra <laughs> Church. Okay, but by the end of 1862, Francis is back in the hunt looking for a fighting regiment again, right? And this is the fourth time now she's going to be able to hook up with the 2nd East Tennessee Cavalry this mm-hmm. time as a teamster. And she's going to enlist under the name Ellie Reno now. So she's moving right along. She's going to be sent to Murfreesboro, Tennessee. And on December 31st, 1862, she's going to participate in the Battle of Stones River, where she'll be wounded in the shoulder. Now, this is going to lead to her discharge uh, because of her injury. It's going to take about six months to rehab mm-hmm. the shoulder injury she has. While she's rehabbing in Louisville, guess what she's going to do? She's going to get married again. Okay. Wow. This this time she gets married to, and I quote, a good-looking and gallant Captain Stewart. That's who, who she marries. Okay, which probably you know proved her marriage to Jerry Kane probably was not official. Was it sounds like she really she really did. Okay, but sadly for Quinn, Stewart's going to be killed right almost immediately after the wedding. He ain't going to make it, so she's going to lose her husband at this point. Right now, while they're in the hospital. She's going to get some an, a second piece of news that's going to devastate her. Yes. She's going to she's going to find out that the previous year, you know, news is slow going through Tennessee mm, apparently, yeah. that her brother Thomas was killed at the Battle of Shiloh the previous year. Oh, and that's going to really really mess her up because again, they were they were of equal minds it seems. They were very yes. close. Um and it took a while for the news to get to her because, I mean, they, she's hiding in, the, in disguise. Yeah, it's April 1863. Like, it's a year after the battle. And so it, it takes a little bit of time. So with the losses of Stuart, her husband, and especially Thomas, 
you know, the heartbroken Quinn now is going to enlist in the army again in Louisville under her old Frank Martin name. Um, and this time she will join the 25th Michigan on with General Jeremiah Boyle's district of West Ken, uh, Western Kentucky. Boyle is the guy who was, who was, uh, who was chasing John Hunt Morgan around. Yep. And his, that, that's who this is the same guy, right? Now, unfortunately for Quinn, you know, she's going to be discovered again as a female and she's going to be discharged. Now, at this time, she's sick of being discharged. She's just sick of it. So she, when this last time she gets pissed, she decides to plead her case to the big man, Abraham Lincoln. I was going to say, yeah, she, she writes that letter to Lincoln. And she's going to write a letter to the guy with the big hat. And she's going to write, and this is the letter she wrote to Lincoln. I do not wish you to think me bold as I write to you wholly out of love for my native country. I am true blue and for the noble flag. I am willing to die and have been in the army for nearly one year. And I wish to see it over. And I am willing to do anything to aid the government that lies in my power for my country. I have lived for my country and I will die. And she signs it, Ellie Reno and Francis Quinn. Wow. It's the first time she uses Francis Quinn or anything. It's this letter to Lincoln. Now, it appears the letter must have done something because um, she's told to report soon later to our old buddy Ambrose Burnside, of all people, to work. She's in Louisville, and she's going to work with, with Burnside in that, that field hospital in Louisville, right? Now, although she's, she's, you know, she's doing exactly what she wanted to do, she's helping her country, you know, she wants to fight. I mean, she's like you on a Friday night. She wants to fight someone go you know and so um in october of 1863 she's going to rejoin that 90th illinois again she's going to sign up again she finds herself in the state of alabama of all places mary and she's going to get herself captured this time so the rebs are going to get her and they're going to march her to a prison camp in atlanta so she's going to be hauled off to atlanta georgia now she tries to escape and she's going to get shot in the leg now it's either in the calf or the thigh who the hell knows, but it's not in the fast. It wasn't the fast. We just missed the fast. It was a little lower. Okay. <laughs> With a thigh in the ass meat. It's, it's a little lower. Okay. Um, but, but during, <laughs> that was the, that was the greatest thing. <laughs> but, but, but during her, so she, so she's going to be recaptured because she's going to shot in the leg. Now during her rehab in that prison hospital, you know, it's not long until her captives are going to discover her little secret, Right. And in that she was a woman and she's quickly going to get sent to a civilian hospital to recover. Yeah. I mean, I can only imagine looking at these guys' faces. She was peeing sitting down all the time. That's like... probably what gave her away, right? <laughs> God. But, but, but whatever it was, they found out what she was. Now, while she's in that civilian hospital, that leg injury she gets is going to get really bad, right? According to a medical report, it says she was wounded in the thigh. No bones were broken. But it was a deep, ugly flesh wound. Gangrene set in, and most of her calf was destroyed. That's what it said. So that's why you can't tell what the hell her injury was. But 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 she is going to recover eventually. But what's funny is the story of this captured Union soldier who turns out to be a woman goes all the way to the top in the Confederate government. And Jefferson Davis finds out about it. And he is absolutely intrigued about this. I mean, he just he can't believe it, right? Now he finds out there's a story of this woman who dresses up as a man who fights for the union and she's caught and, and, and she's just a fighter. So you know what he does? He writes, he personally writes a letter to her and you know what he does? He offers her a Lieutenant's commission in the Confederate army. What? He says, you know something you can fight. How about you join us? What the hell? Right. And, um, so he writes a personal letter to her offering her a lieutenant's commission to fight for the Confederacy for, for, for Quinn. What do you think she does of that? She pulls out her as if card. Yeah. Right. And not she, her F this. And she exactly. And she's going to turn that down because she wasn't going to fight against I me. Mean, she's very patriotic. Because yep. at the beginning of this, you know, her, her comparable on the boy's side is Rufus Dawes. That's who she was. And she was never going to fight against her own country. Yep. So two weeks later, this is on February 17th, 1864. Quinn, along with 26 other prisoners, are all going to get exchanged. They're going to, they're going to let them go. Now, when she's leaving the prison, you I mean, she's a rock star. All, all, yeah. They all know she's a woman. Uh, all the Rebs are yelling to her on the way out, go home. Just go home to, to her. And she turns and she says, my only brother was killed at, P- at Pittsburgh Landing, and I have no home and no friends. And they were probably Aww. like, shit. They were probably like, damn. So that's what she said to these Confederates when they were mocking her. So... So she was going home, but she was sad about it. Now, 
Upon her arrival back on Union lines, Quinn is reported to have said hurrah for God's country as she crossed uh, in, back into Union lines. And she's going to end up going to Nashville, into Tennessee, where she's going to really, they're going to put her back in the hospital again to recover for her leg. Yeah. And, and she, she is going to recover completely. And she'll be discharged from the hospital. And she's going to travel to Pennsylvania, where she's going to remain for the remainder of the war. So the war is over for, for Francis Quinn. Now, from Pennsylvania, she's going to bounce around. She's going to eventually find her way to Ohio, of all places. And she's going to settle in the village of Harmar, which is a lovely hamlet within the city of uh, Marietta. That's right on the Ohio, Ohio River in that southeast portion. Of the that's state. right. We're near where Rufus Dawes was from. Yep. yep. Exactly. That's where he, he was uh, from. All, all, all goes back to Rufus. Good segue. All goes back to Rufus Dawes. You, 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 you saved my battleship there, Mary. Well done. Well I done. Did pay attention? Okay, you did. Okay. But anyway, so she's going to get there. And while she gets, while she's there, she's going to meet a guy named Matthew Angel. Now, Angel was a veteran of the 91st Ohio Heavy Artillery under a guy named Captain Edward Ayleshire, mm-hmm. as well as the 2nd Ohio Heavy Artillery. And soon later, okay, they um, got hot and heavy, and they mm-hmm. got married in, um, in uh, Gilead, Ohio, on August 12, 1866. The war is over now. She's going to settle into civilian life with her new husband, and they're going to have three kids, ironically, all girls. It's funny how life is, right, for, for her. So Rosa, Louisa, and Maggie are going to be the kids' names. Mm-hmm. And Maggie will be the youngest. Two months after the young, after Maggie was born, Francis is going to start to develop a, a medical condition called at the time called dropsy, okay? Yeah. Dropsy is, is, is it's edema is what it is. It's, it's, when, it's a disease when that you have fluid buildup in your tissues, right? Yeah. And it tends to focus more on your legs. So I don't know if it has to do with her injury or it what the deal probably is. probably would have been to do with her injury, right? Like, I mean, who knows? I mean, how it is back then. But she, but regardless, she's going to get this thing, and her condition is going to get worse. And she is going to die on June 8, 1872. 26 years old. I know. She's so years. young. 26 or, or 27, depending on what yeah. her birthday was. But you think of someone who lived a full life. Oh, right? did she ever? Yeah. I mean, she got married three times allegedly three kids yep, she fought has three ki- yeah. five, five you know five times fights gets shot escapes mm-hmm. captured gets paroled i mean she does it all i mean she's you know she works the blizzard machine and the drive through <laughs> hey that takes talent band. that takes talent. Oh, it does it does but you know what's interesting is she you know she is going to be buried near her home in Gale- uh, galia ohio in a private cemetery that's since been lost the time it's long mm. gone right now the st- What's interesting is her story kind of vanished for a while, mm-hmm. 1866, until 1916, when a, a st- newspaper called the Galopolis Bulletin from the town of Galopolis, Ohio, is going to write a story about her, which is going to rekindle the story of Frances Elizabeth Quinn. And it starts, the first paragraph, this is how, how the story starts, in a little private cemetery near the village of Thivner, a few miles from Galopolis, Ohio, there sleeps one whose name, instead of being chiseled on an impervious marble slab, bearing the simple dates of her birth and demise, should be written boldly and indelibly with those of the patriots and heroes of history. That's how it starts. And it tells her whole story. Um, and, you know, it's it's not a, it's a private cemetery on private land. It's got sold. It's just gone now. So it's, it's, I don't think it's even exists yep. anymore where, where she's buried. But it's interesting when, when you study someone like Quinn, you know, in a war where men deserted, where men, men now literally paid not to get, to get out of being drafted. Yeah. You know, this, this is a woman who was pretty obvious based on the re- repeated attempts to enlist that Francis Elizabeth Quinn's gravestone should be written in such a way, if you really think about it, is, is she's one of the many of those literally nameless and faceless women to history she now, is. right? Yeah. And, and instead, her grave is, is lost to history. And like so many people whose names you know, will never be studied as they should be, she's somebody who um, has left a really indelible mark that should be written in marble, historically speaking, because she is the epitome of someone who um, fought for the right reasons, Right. Mm-hmm. She fought for patriotism. You know, when she found that her brother died, she didn't just walk away. She fought mm-hmm. harder. She kept going. Yeah. Um, you know, she got to the point where she was literally offered a 
a position in the Confederate army if she just, if she, and, and, you know, no way. And she didn't do it. And she got exchanged, went home and she tried to live her life the best way. I mean, mm-hmm. very much like R- Rufus Dawes tried to do, yep. like Charles Tilden tried to do, like many of these guys who, when the war ended, the history drops. Right. Um, but she's, um, she's out there somewhere in yeah. like Galea, Ohio. And she's somebody who, despite her importance in history is someone who, um, is only studied by a very niche group of people who yeah. study this. And she's one of five to 700 women who fought in the civil war whose stories just aren't told. No, enough, no. And it's right? like, you know, like when we had Lisa on our book club, you know, her nameless and faceless women of the civil war, the poetry, which we both would highly recommend our listeners check out. It's beautiful poetry. It's a great way to look at the civil war. It's very humanizing and it gives a voice to these women that, that don't have them. And, you know, I think Quinn is all the, you know, the four that we studied um, and the countless others, there's, there's Belle Boyd, there's, there's others that, you know, they need a voice in history and, and their stories deserve to be told as much as Rufus Dawes, as much as Howard, as much as Sherman, as much as, you know, any of these guys. Um, Who's Howard? Howard? (laughs) Jesus. Any chance you get, any chance you get. I, Anyways, <laughs> but um, I'm really happy we were able to tell the stories of these these four women. Um, you know, I wish it could have been more, and I'm sure we will look at them again. And it just doesn't have to be when it's Women's History Month, right? Um, but you know, you have to think about it. You know, for the the five to seven hundred that apparently fought, like there's got to be so many more we don't know about that were just that well, that they were just that good. And you know, you you look at somebody like Quinn who she gets caught all those times and then you have someone like Edmonds who manages to go all the way through her service gets malaria and she's like I gotta get the fuck out of here and that's when she you know goes to Philadelphia and checks in that hospital as a woman and then sees the poster that she had you know Frank Thompson had uh, deserted and you know Mm. it was death and then she goes back to her friends in Michigan and that's how she gets her pension and the men rally around her like she made yeah, that, to conceal that, herself. That's the thing that Quinn didn't really get. Yeah. Um, well, I wonder if know. it's, you know, it just depends, right? Like how well you can play the role of a man. I'm not saying that I Quinn think, didn't, but it sounds like she might have been a little say, bit more feminine than, than what well, Edmonds but was. But they say what, what gave her away was her voice a lot. I guess she had a very high voice, very feminine type of voice. Yeah. Kind of tough to pull that one off when you walk in there. And, um, but again, you know, when you, it was not as bad as the South. To be a Southern soldier, all you needed to do was have two top teeth, two bottom teeth to tear up the cartridges. That was the, yep. that was it, really. Um, so, but there was in a time when they were fighting desperately for Union soldiers. Um, I mean, she pens that letter to Lincoln, right? Yeah. Oh, she's and bold. Lincoln mm-hmm. appears to acquiesce a little bit because he, she ends up going with Burnside and mm-hmm. sticking around, but she wants to fight. And, you know, she never loses her leg, although it was pretty close. Yeah. But she ends up with the dropsy at the end and she dies. I was amazed when, when if you read her whole story and you said she died. For me, I was stunned. She was only 26. I know. Yeah, I was too. When, led, when, when I read that, when I was you know, researching her too, like I was like, oh my God, she's, she's got to be the youngest one of the four women we looked at. I mean, she it just, she lived, lived like three different lives, mm-hmm. you know? Um, and you know, it was, it's fun for me personally doing the comparison. Cause I did Sarah Slater last yeah. time, who was a much more nefarious, slippery type of person who no one really knows. And this woman, apparently she was easy to pick out. Eventually, even, even her brother's death found her way to her. So someone, I mean, she yeah. could have been hiding out that well, but again, she was relentless and she, um, she wouldn't give up. She was persistent. She was, a, she had, you know, she had determination, Mary. That's what she had. She was Ooh. determined. She Ooh, was. She has. Hmm. You know, but we that's, all know um, where determination yeah, gets you. She does. She usually does. But I think, I think it's a fascinating story. And Cushman yep. is, is, is another one. And we'll talk more in detail of her a little bit down the road. Because I think yeah. someone like Pauline Cushman is, deserves a full episode on her own. Yeah. And it was good that you kind of did the high-level overview to talk about mm-hmm. her. You will get more of the details later. But um, but I like the, I like the ones, the nameless ones, that admittedly they do. Oh, now, I Francis do Quinn is not, is not exactly nameless. But again, she's not that level of a Bell Boyd 
or a Greeno or any any of no, the top no, and she doesn't. We don't. Women. We we don't have her writing like we do, Edmonds or Cushman, right? Like we we don't have that. Um, but you know, I, I and again, I love drawing the parallels between the two. Like we have, you know, uh, Quentin possibly could have been an immigrant, which Edmonds was. Um, Edmonds and Quinn are very much like Rufus Dawes in their level of patriotism. And these are two women that, um, you know, Edmonds, we know for sure was not born in the United States yet here she is. And she's like, yeah, I'm, I'm going to fight for my country. And Quinn might not have been either. She might've been born in Ireland. We're not a hundred percent sure of that. Well, that's the problem. That's the thing is her birth date's unknown. 44. That's just like Sheridan. But that would, that would depend on whether she was born in Ireland or Illinois, yeah. that's what the thing. So that's what we'll, we'll never know for sure. Cause there are sources that say both admittedly, yep. just like so Sheridan. Someone says, yeah. And so, um, and so that that's exactly what that was. But again, it's it. The Marietta connections. was always interesting because mm-hmm. when I, as I was, as I was studying her, all I could think about was Rufus Dawes. Well, that, because, because yeah. it, it's this very similar mindset. Now Dawes, he had the issues because he fought and he, that he went on, he kind of was taking water as the war yeah. went on. But that that will to fight, that beginning, that go 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 attitude, uh, reminded me a lot of them. So it was interesting. They both kind of ended up sort of in the same area or they did. in the same area, but it's um a little bit. But it's it's interesting how that goes. Um, but that's it's interesting how how that whole thing is. But we'll we'll have fun with that. We'll have a yeah. good time with that. Well, I definitely saw the you know like I said the comparison between Dawes and Quinn, and and Edmonds. The difference being Edmonds was just she did not you know she clearly saw war as the adventure right like her her memoirs were very much like this is what i did and it was it was one big adventure right um but it's interesting to draw comparisons between all of them it is but it's a fun study it's mm-hmm. fun to look at these people i would i would suggest anybody um if if you want to just go down a rabbit hole just find one of these people and just dig and dig and dig because there's just enough info to keep you looking, but there's not a lot. So it's a, it's really a really good um, field trip. And when you study any of these people, it's one that you can really get into. And the more you study, the more you want to learn. Exactly. And that was the case certainly for all four of these people. Oh, so, yeah. They're all they're all so fascinating. And I'm so glad we were able to give them um, kind of like like a voice in history, you know, um, and just the fact we we know somebody too, MJ, who who portrays Cushman, which is fascinating, and it's actually got me thinking. Wow, do I start? Do I maybe portray Edmonds? Um, you know, it's even got me thinking of that because I was just so so fascinated and um, got wrapped up in in her story when when we researched her. So I'm I'm really glad we did this. Um, you know, and we shouldn't have oh. waited till Women's History Month to do it, but I'm glad we did it in Women's History Month. You know. That's very cool. That's very cool. So the calendar turns to April. So what's next for us? So next we are going to be doing a couple episodes about Appomattox. We were going to do Shiloh, but then we thought, wow, wait, we did Bentonville last year. Let's look into the Eastern Theater and um, cover Appomattox. So we're going to be doing a couple episodes about that. We might be doing a kind of fun lighter episode coming up, which the topic to that will be revealed once we decide what it is um you'll let you'll let me know right of course i will yeah okay god um and we will be having our round table sometime in april as well which we will let you know the date of that soon hopefully it's going to be on the third wednesday we've had to kind of mix it up the last few times but yeah we've got lots of good stuff um coming down the pike for y'all and yeah with next with the next episode being episode 80 we are 20 episodes away from episode 100 so that's pretty cool yeah, your math skills continue to impress i know really, really that mary cool. mcclellan math that was oh, revealed in the that. first few episodes when you asked me what percentage of casualties that is and i must have made you so proud when i came back oh with the god answer that I did. Right, another, another another job done all right well i think it's a good place to, a good place to drop off here so a lot of fun stuff coming down the pike looking forward to talking about Appomattox, um, two episodes, another another two-part we'll be doing starting next week. So live coming up this weekend again. Yep. Like you said, um, a lot of fun stuff coming down the pike. So any final words from you, Fincheru? Well, thank you to all our listeners for supporting us through these 79 episodes. Um, you know, you guys are awesome, and, and we obviously would not be doing this podcast without you. Um, the, the Facebook Lives are so fun on Saturday or Sunday mornings whenever we do them um, to see the kind of everybody hanging out together and all that and then they're 
we couldn't we wouldn't be here without you and i certainly could not do this podcast without you darren you are the best co-host i could have ever imagined and well i'm just happy member of the team mary you know how that is you know how it is and you bring it every week and you know more about the civil war than anybody else oh that's crazy but yeah anyway it's great it's great to do this any final words from you Nope, I'm just. It's a good episode. I really enjoyed these last couple ones we did on these female ones. It was good that we uh, we gave them a voice, told their story. Yep. Um, people probably heard of them, but you know what though? Uh, for now, they're front of mind. At least yep. these episodes are front of mind. They're not just um, background people that people study. So off we go. So we're gonna head off to the great blue yonder, as they say. Head off in the weekend. So everyone have a safe weekend. Thanks for supporting us as always. We look forward to seeing you on our live in the many shenanigans coming down the road for us. All right. So have a great weekend, everybody. Peace the hell out. See y'all later.